0: Well, the book of Revelation is written to comfort and to encourage God's people of every age who are suffering in the midst of tribulation. And tribulation is the focus of chapter 6 where we turn this evening. So, I'll be reading now from Revelation chapter 6 beginning at the first verse through the remaining of the chapter. Revelation chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second scroll, I heard the second Living creatures say, "Come." And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, "Come." And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine when he opened the fourth seal i heard the voice of the four living creatures say come uh, and i looked and behold a pale horse And its writer's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And uh, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand amen well the point of this text is to is that God's people will go through many tribulations of all sorts but God knows and his people uh, he knows his people, and 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 he will deliver them victorious to glory. Um, we are on um uh, we're we're on a very distinct timeline, brothers and sisters, and the end of which will be launched at the return of our Lord, and which is on schedule, um, as the Lord will show us in the text. In verses four and five, we have this glorious picture that we saw uh, last Lord's Day evening of, um, well, maybe it wasn't then, but um, of the Father uh, together with um, God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, who is at once the Lion and the Lamb. And we see them being worshipped by all the world as Christ is handed the scroll which represents God's eternal decrees and specifically his plans for the future. Now, in chapter 6 and 7, the dramatic movement of the apocalypse actually begins as the scroll is opened and the seals are broken one by one. This is the first uh, we begin uh, this evening in a series of seven parallel cycles of judgment that God has brought uh, and is bringing upon the earth. And now, let me again remind you that we must, and we must bear this in mind that as we read through the book of Revelation, and this is why it's confused people so easily, in part at least, is we mustn't be tempted to try to read this book chapter by chapter, blow by blow, um, event by event, as a, some sort of chronological uh, history of Christianity beginning at the first century and ending with the second coming trying to fit everything in. That that approach ends up with confusion and frustration and tortured stretching and misreading of the text uh, to fit into history, past, present, and fanciful imaginative propositions about the future. Rather, we see um, these seven cycles uh, going over very much the same ground each time, but each with a slightly different emphasis and a slightly different it, um, detail um, where um, and, and each of them, all of them, however, progressing or moving together each uh, toward a great climax. The new heaven and the new earth, which is described in wonderful detail at the end of the book. Most importantly, God reveals to us in this book a series of symbolic pictures uh, given to the Church of Christ that describe God's victory over the troubles and persecutions of the Church that God's people experienced in the first century, and that we are experiencing right now, and and will be experienced in the future until the return of our Lord. To say it again, the overarching purpose of the book is to encourage God's people of every age as we move uh, through redemptive history, as we move along this timeline of God's great plan to know that through it all, God and his people uh, will be victorious. Now, here in chapter 6 is this first cycle. Uh, God illustrates for us the sufferings of the church by means of of, uh, of this vision of seven seals. Now, let's look at each of them briefly. Uh, we're going to look this evening at the sufferings of the church and the second coming of Christ. Um, the sufferings of the church and the second coming of Christ. So, first, uh, the sufferings of the church. And straight away, notice in, uh, in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, that it's Jesus uh, significantly identified again as the Lamb. There's the lamb that was slain, the title uh, which reminds us of his sacrifice and suffering, um, in which we share as God's people. It is he who opens these seals and releases these troubles and orders these tribulations. Um, now, with the opening of the first seal, um, we, uh, we hear the voice. Um, there's a voice like thunder. Uh, And it's the the first of the four living creatures, the cherubim, who cries out, come. And John looks and sees uh, the first of the famous four riders of the apocalypse. Uh, The first rider is not described uh, or named uh, We're simply told the color of his horse, which is white, and that he's given a bow and uh, a crown as he rides out as a conqueror and Conquest. Now, it's common to identify this first writer as Christ or as the gospel going forth uh, as, as, to conquer, to win the elect uh, of the earth. The white horse, the bow, the crown, marshaled in support of that identification. But there are problems with that. And as we go through this, I'm not going to always tell you the different problems and you shouldn't believe this, you shouldn't believe this one. But, but in this case, I will. Um, and this one has some problems. Certainly, it's... Uh, it's out of step uh, with the others. Um, it's, uh, the white horse, um, well, the, on all the other, uh, all the other um, of, the, of these uh, seals, you'll notice that, um, uh, that it's not a person, but a historical forces that we're dealing with. Uh, devastating calamities, calamities. Uh, at 12 times the expression he was given or it was given to him appears in this book of Revelation. But all of these references refer to um, divine permission granted by evil powers to carry out their their fell or wicked works, which is certainly doesn't fit with the idea of the white horse being Christ of the gospel. So a better identification is to understand the white horse and the rider to be the spirit of conquest and militarism. A spirit of conquest. The the crown is is simply a, a symbol of victory. Remember, these seals are symbols of suffering and Think of how the world has suffered over the ages from the military ambitions and victories of men, be it Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan or Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler or Mao Zedong or Pol Pot or some Afghani warlord or Al-Qaeda commander or even just some teenage, local teenage gang who terrorizes a square mile of the city streets as they seek to control their turf. It's always the same. It's always the, the poor people and uh, the, well, the little people who, who suffer, the aged, the poor children. Uh, the, the, the white horse, in other words, is a symbol of rapacious conflict, uh, of, of invasion, of, of bloody victory. Uh, certainly a, a good percentage of the world at this very hour knows this horseman. He, uh, he is bankrupting their nation with his insatiable military or nuclear visions. He's destroying peace and safety of their neighborhood. He's shooting up the village. He's abducting their sons and raping their daughters and destroying the country and planting fields with landmines and, and and all for the sake of someone's jihadist agenda or conquest, the establishment of some, somebody's rule, someone's kingdom. Um, it, 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 this, this seal shows us in other words something as old as the hills but as contemporary as, as today's news this is, this, is Xi, uh, this is Xi Jinping and, and Kim Jong-un and, and Vladimir uh, Putin or Atoya Ali uh, uh, Ali Kamani of, 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 um, of Iran now the second seal is released um, releases the, the, the red horse fiery red and uh, given power to take peace from the earth and cause men to slay one another. And, and this is the calamity of slaughter, uh, the red blood of the slaughtered. Uh, but more specifically, I think William Hendrickson makes a convincing case that this to be a reference, especially of religious persecution. And certainly much of the miserable slaughter uh, perpetrated through the ages, has been religious in nature, most notably uh, against Jews and um, especially Christians. Uh, the persecution against Christians around the world over the last 50 years is increasing uh, alarmingly, and it continues uh, this way. Um, there are today at least 40 nations commonly listed and generally acknowledged to be places where Christians are most terribly persecuted Uh, The worst being North Korea, Nigeria, Somalia, Sudan, uh, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Indonesia, Eritrea, Yemen. Uh, Chilling accounts of Muslim converts to Christianity being sought out and gunned down before the eyes of their family or Sunday worshippers being slaughtered and their churches closed or burned to the ground in Indonesia or villages in Nigeria ambushed and despoiled. Well, that's the red horse. That's the calamity of slaughter, perfectly illustrated. Perhaps as the United States becomes less tolerant of those who hold biblical values regarding the sanctity of human life or a biblical one-man and one-woman marriage and straight sexuality, stiffer opposition is on the horizon for dedication Christians in this land is, as well. Didn't, didn't the Apostle Paul warn us that in fact everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 The day may come, unthinkable as it seems, when we'll have a closer knowledge of this second horse and the oppression and even the slaughter he represents. Well, the third seal releases the black horse and its rider who holds a pair of scales a voice announces exorbitant, exorbitant inflationary prices for the staples of daily life. A quart of wheat or three quarts of barley for three days, for rather a day's wage. So a man makes $150 a day, but he spends nearly all of it on staples. But notice what it says, but do not damage the oil and the wine. And so this third horse does not refer to famine in its fullest, most devastating sense, um, but rather, uh, rather to scarcity, rather to a high, exorbitant cost of living. Food is available, but it's very costly, very expensive. And only the well-off will have plenty. Um, that, too, has been the experience of many millions around the world That is exactly the case now in places like Venezuela where store shelves are empty and hungry people are found rioting on the streets. Um, Do you know that the majority of people um, have one meal a day in many places in India and parts of Africa? You know that. Uh, And not because of custom, but because of necessity. Economists and agronomists will tell us that since the introduction of of, of, of fertilizers, the green revolution. There's no lack of food in the world. There's more than enough for all. The grain elevators of North America are filled to capacity, uh, but starving people in Venezuela and North Korea or Sudan can't get it. Even, even when we send it, the sacks of wheat sit wasting in some port frozen by political impasse or bureaucratic red tape and undeliverable because of warfare or stolen or sold somewhere else on the black market by thieving government officials. Call it uh, calamity, call it judgment um, that men have brought upon themselves, you see, by their own sin, by their own greed. It's another aspect of the wages of greed and meanness and sin. COVID uh, vaccinations are available, but the wealthiest Western nations are buying up uh, large lots of those vaccines leaving poorer nations and poorer people without at least probably for another year. Blame it on capitalism. Blame it on socialism. Blame it on communism. Blame it on lack of free trade. Blame it on whatever ism you like. But in the end, blame it on the hardness of men's hearts. And that's what stands behind the black horse and his rider. Um, the fourth seal releases the fourth horse, a pale horse whose rider is named Death, and who has, is given the power to kill by the sword. Famine and plague and the wild, uh, the wild beasts of the earth, as it tells us in the text, are the calamities represented by these seals growing in intensity and leading up to uh, leading getting worse. Um, well, perhaps, certainly this is a strong picture, this fourth horse. It's a picture of, of terror, of violence, of disease and death. And above all, I believe this one, it really is focused on a picture of war and all that goes with it. The miseries of warfare that are brought upon men, and in and, and, and increasing measure, thousands of wars since the first advent and getting bigger and dirtier with every passing year, with the, every terrible refinement of military hardware. Famine and disease uh, that follow um, and is now following rebel warfare in places like Sudan and Syria and Iraq and Yemen and Afghanistan are are legend. It's happening every every day and it has happened Uh, throughout the history of the inhabited world. Nations once rich and economically prosperous, like Uganda once called the pearl of of Africa, now um, slowly struggling back after the years of Idi Amin. um, Many situations like that. Nations rich economically now become basket cases of misery for decades after, in the aftermath of warfare. Uh, the misery of, of, of Russia and Eastern Europe following World War II w- was legend and terrible. Uh, the fifth seal changes the scene from earth to heaven where gathered martyrs impatiently cry out for justice. How long, O oh Lord, holy and true, will you fail to judge the world and avenge our blood? As the blood of Abel cried out from the ground to God in Genesis 4:10, so here the blood of the art of the martyrs of Christians of every age who have lost their lives for their Christian testimony in the hands of those who hated Jesus are, are pictured here. You see, this is this is I'm trying to get the get to the idea. This is across the board. This isn't just back then. It's happening now. It keeps happening. It keeps all of these things keep happening. You see, that's what makes this such a timeless book. And and they're crying out in this case to God, not for personal revenge, not for justice, but for the sake of the righteousness and honor of God who created the world and these people for whom Christ died. People are called to be worshippers, not corpses. In a moral universe, ruled by a moral God, we should expect such a thing as justice. Uh, we should deserve such a thing for ourselves. And it will happen. Um, The day of recompense will come. These saints uh, are given white robes, verse 11, and told to wait just a little while longer until the full number of their brethren is complete, by which we are to understand that not all those uh, who have given their lives for Jesus are yet in heaven. There are more to join them. Now, remember... The opening of the seven seals, again, is the unfolding of history. Um, and let me summarize the first five uh, seals, sort of pause and summarize the first five seals in this manner. They are pictures, they are illustrations of the sufferings of the earth and of God's people. We we might call them temporal or earthly judgments of God that he's visited upon us in our pride, in our sin, in our greedy a selfishness. Um, Ultimately, all of these tribulations represent the chastening hand of God in a rebellious world. They are not purposeless. They are intended to drive people uh, from their sin to Christ, from their sin and want and pernury. They're they're to to be driven. Uh, why Why did God bring judgments upon Adam and Eve? To drive them to Christ. That's why he did that, to drive them to Christ. That injustice, of course. And, and so that was the first, you see, that was the first of that that we're seeing, to drive people to Christ, uh, uh, and always accompanied by the gospel. Uh, they're the means by which the, the Lord uh, throws a complacent, self sufficient world off balance as he gathers in his people. These calamities, as One commentator has put it, characterizes an indefinite period of time before the second coming. Such things occurred during the tumults of the Greek and Roman and Persian empires. They're still occurring right now and many are to be expected to occur right up to the terrible days immediately preceding the second coming. Which brings us to the opening of the sixth seal which must certainly, without question, uh, be, um, uh, uh, must be regarded as the judgment of the second coming of Christ. And, and with it, the completion of this first cycle of judgments in the book of Revelation. It begins often, in many cases, we'll see the birth of Christ and then ending with the second coming. In this case, uh, we don't see as much, but we do see the second coming. And... Um, so, it's, it's the same scenario that uh, we read in other places uh, in, in the Bible, such as in Luke 21 or Mark 13. Especially Mark 13, 23 and following, which is borrowed much from the prophecy of Isaiah, speaking of the return of our Lord. Jesus says in Mark 13, 23 to 27, So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, listen to these things that you just heard. In Revelation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and from the ends of the heaven. So now here... In his revelation to John, Jesus speaks of many of the same occurrences. This is the great catastrophe, uh, and the great catastrophic end of the world, the Day of the Lord with a capital D, uh, complete with wild changes and dislocations of heavenly bodies, a great shaking of the nations, um, uh, a great sifting, a great separating of the wheat from the shaft and the sheep from the goats. And with Christ returning on the clouds, as described earlier in Revelation 1, where every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, and so shall it be. Amen. This will be an event that no one will ever miss, those dead and those alive. And what we're given on all of this is really a symbolic picture of, of the terror of the judgment day at the end of the age. What we see uh, in this sixth seal is not the rejoicing that we'll see in other places. This is more the darker side uh, where we uh, see the pouring out of God's wrath at the end of the age um, and the world at large. Um, the world uh, has as a whole, after call, suppressed uh, the knowledge of God in their hearts. Um, they have worshipped. We have worshipped and served the created things instead of the the creator, Uh, has treated one one another with pride and anger and greed and lust, has profited nothing, learned nothing from God's mercies and provisions and patience, nothing learned um, from temporal judgments described in the first five seals, ignored his holy words and warnings, A world that has stoned the prophets and tortured to death his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And continues to persecute and abuse his beloved blood-bought children up to this very day and hour. Well, here in the sixth seal is the terrible end of it all. And John is given this vision where, in verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great ones... And the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath is come, and who can stand? Well, who indeed? Oops. Who can stand? Who indeed? Um, Who can stand before a holy God uh, any day, let alone uh, the day of all days? And the answer is only those who have been saved and covered with the blood of Christ. Only those who have found Jesus as their Savior. And they will stand clothed in the robes of his righteousness, on his record. Those. Uh, who, who have not been overcome by the confusion and the trials and the difficulties of this age, but have held fast to Christ. Held fast to Christ. Just maybe by a handful, brothers and sisters. You know, not everyone will have a huge grip. Some are just going to be hanging on. But that's good enough. Holding fast to Christ and his victory over death and hell knowing that in a short time it will be our victory. And that will be forever. So you must, every one of you, be prepared and myself for that day right now because, because we're deliberately uh, left almost completely uninformed as to the date and hour of his return. Now the only way to be sure that you will not be included among those who are crying out to be covered by the rocks and trees so that you won't be, have to see the eyes of God and the grace the, the glaze, the glaze of Christ Uh, but rather to be stand enraptured and rejoicing before the gaze gaze of God. And the only way to do that is to make your peace with him and surrender to his only son, Jesus. That's where we all need to start. And so today, this evening, it would be a good and prudent time to do that. That's the best application uh, I can give from this text of scripture to urge you if you're not saved or maybe you're not sure um, to turn to faith in Christ. Young people, ask Jesus to bring you to the place where you can confess your faith in him and and, uh, and prepare you to meet with him. Uh, this is not a fiction, although it does seem like a hard place and an awkward place to stop, doesn't it? I would like to go right on to chapter 7 uh, and open the seventh seal, but I think it's better if we save that for next week. We'll pray. Lord our God, um, we read these sort of fantastical um, passages, and but we do see uh, how indeed throughout the ages the church has suffered in all of these ways. And, and we do see, Lord, that your hand is upon it all and you are moving, you are moving redemptive history along and you're calling your people to yourself. Father, we thank you for your mercies and grace. And we pray that, that you, would, um, you would assure us in our hearts through our lives and by your grace that we are indeed following you. Lord, we thank you for that love of Christ of which we heard this morning. And we pray that we might be secure in it and ready for that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.